It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the World in 10 podcast, bringing you the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by the Times of London. I'm Lou Newton and this is Toby Gillies. And on a day when Israel and Hamas start an extended pause in violence, we take a deep dive into the media war and the sort of damage it could do to each side. It's the first of the extra two days negotiated beyond the initial four-day agreement for Israeli hostages to be released in exchange for a ceasefire and Palestinian prisoners being freed. And more aid and fuel-carrying trucks have been heading into Gaza. Yet despite that relative peace, stories are still emerging of the horrors of war there, with both sides making concerning claims about the treatment of civilians, the first a 10-month-old Israeli baby. Yes, Israel's defence forces say Hamas is refusing to give over its youngest hostage. That's baby Kafir Bibas. They think the terror group plans to use him and his four-year-old brother Ariel, who was also kidnapped on October 7th, as a human shield when the fighting resumes. Qatari officials say Hamas told them it's actually lost control, that's their words, of a sizable number of hostages, 40 in fact. By that, it means they've handed them to other groups. Two of them include Kafir and Ariel, and the Times is reporting today that they're in Khan Yunis in southern Gaza, a region expected to come under heavy bombardment once the fighting resumes. Noga Tarnopolsky is a correspondent in Jerusalem who's told the world in 10 the optics of this, especially if a baby is accidentally killed in an Israeli strike as a result of Hamas's actions, will not play out well for the terror group. For Hamas, it is extremely convenient to string Israel along and to say, we can't find them. Maybe if you give us 10 more days of quiet, maybe then we'll locate them. And they could be dead. They could be alive and being kept to use as human shields. They could simply be used for political leverage. I don't know how to respond about how effective this would be. Hamas has made some missteps in its propaganda in recent days. And I have to tell you that if this 10-month-old child is killed in an airstrike in which Israel's bombing Gaza to try and ferret out the Hamas leaders who are hiding underground. I'm not actually sure this would look that good for Hamas. So the hostage situation remains one of claim and counterclaim and, of course, is as tense as ever. 
But even while there's quiet in fighting terms in Gaza, there are still ongoing attempts to win the media war from both sides. And one element of that that's drawn some criticism of Israel is a suggestion of the widespread use of white phosphorus by its forces in Gaza. That's an incendiary substance, one designed to cause fire, which is often used in war to create smoke screens for a force. Now, whilst legal, it's supposed to be used sparingly, at best in areas populated tightly by civilians, because it causes horrific internal injuries. Israel has used it in the past in Gaza and Ghassan Abu Sita, a British-Palestinian plastic surgeon who spent weeks working in a Gazan hospital at the start of the war there, has told Times Radio it's very clear to him that they're doing so again to devastating effect. I had treated white phosphorus burns in Gaza during the 2009 war on Gaza. So I was very familiar with the very distinctive pattern of injury. I mean, if you've seen it once, you never forget it because of the way this chemical burn burrs into the body and continues to burn until it no longer has exposure to oxygen. And it's usually very deep in the body that the burn stops. It was a 13-year-old boy and his father initially, and then later on when the ground forces reached the beach camp in Gaza City, there were many more patients as it was being used more more openly. Spokespeople for the Israeli Defence Force regularly take part in interviews on Times Radio and the team behind that interview with Gassan have promised to question them on this white phosphorus allegation next time that happens. Now to what might be a hugely significant moment in battling the emissions of one of the world's most polluting industries, air travel. Because a flight using only a new eco-fuel is on its way from the UK to the US as we record. Yes, the Boeing 787 test flight took off from Heathrow and will land in New York. And it's distinctly possible that the fuel it's running from once deep-fried something like your last donut, maybe. <laughs> yeah, someone who knows all the details of how this works and what it means for the industry is the Times' transport correspondent, Ben Clapworthy. This flight is operating using 100% sustainable aviation fuel, which is a lower carbon intensity fuel that can be produced from renewable food stocks such as waste vegetable oils, fats and greases. Research independent from the airline industry has found that it can reduce CO2 emissions by about 70% when fully replacing traditional kerosene jet fuel. Technically, it's better for the environment. It's reusing waste, but what we are seeing is that this is a very baby industry at the moment. It only represents around 0.1% of aviation fuel globally. There's strong criticism in some quarters that this is too little too late, but the aviation industry reckons it's a big moment that shows there can be a greener way to fly. Soccer remains one of the fastest growing sports in the US and no other sport has as many players worldwide. So this next story is hugely significant. It really is. We've believed for some time that heading a football can do some sort of damage to the brain to the point where in England it's banned for under 12s and restricted in training all the way to the very top level. But 
A new study has revealed that even in the amateur game, heading is leading to a measurable decline in brain function over just two years of regular playing. So these are called subconcussive head traumas. That means they're not the type to lead to a concussion. And the impact of those are also subclinical, which means they're not significant enough to require medical intervention. But still, the results are scary. Those tested showed changes in their brain microstructure after two years of regular heading. That's about 44 times every two weeks for men and just 15 times for women. Um, That were similar to people who have had what scientists called mild traumatic brain injuries. Kaya Burgess is the Times' science reporter. One of the better analogies for this is, is looking at boxing. Of course, people are being literally punched in the face and punched around the head. Some of it obviously clearly is concussive if you're knocked out by it, but there has been not much doubt going back to obviously Muhammad Ali and that the impact of regularly being hit in the head can have in in later life and could potentially increase the risk of of neurodegenerative conditions like like dementia. What's been done in this study is actually looking at the very structure of the brain. So it didn't just do these tests on memory and reasoning, but it also looked to see if there was an impact on the microstructure of the brain. And Kaya's asked that we're clear that he's not saying that heading is as dangerous as being punched in the head in a boxing ring, but the long-term damage both cause could bring about the kind of brain damage that leads to dementia. Now, here's some news I just never thought we'd hear. Apparently, man flu is real. Yes, finally acknowledgement. Uh, So Jenna Hope is a nutritionist who's studied human nutrition extensively and has done a deep dive into this. Apparently, the female immune system is actually stronger than a man's. So men and women both have the same sex hormones, oestrogen, progesterone and testosterone. But women have more oestrogen and progesterone, which Jenna says can increase the efficiency of a person's immune cells. And then men have more testosterone, which plays a role in the suppression of the immune system. So what does it lead to? Men suffering more from the same illnesses as women. Get me that extra day off. Toby, I'm hearing so much about Omid Scobie's new book that we have to talk about it. It's called Endgame, Inside the Royal Family and the Monarchy's Fight for Survival. And it's full of all sorts of claims about the royal family. Now, they're not very positive things, which may not be surprising given Scobie's reputation as Harry and Meghan's mouthpiece, although he does deny that. In this book, he claims that King Charles had a message circulated to the royal family not to trust Prince Harry after his book Spare was published in January and that he referred to him as that fool. Then he says that Prince William is power-hungry and cold and he says he's desperate to be king. It then goes into a whole thing with Kate, the Princess of Wales, and says that she sees Meghan as a rival and then suggests that at one time Kate tried to emulate Meghan. There's so much to unpack from it. We don't have the time. In fact, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 